Hello, it's so good to have you with us here at Leadership for Sustainability. This is the podcast where we help you lead on sustainability to deliver results and make a real difference in the world. I'm Osbert Lancaster, longtime sustainability consultant and trainer, and co founder of Realize Earth. Dee Davison was business operations director when she realised Delux needed a global sustainability strategy. She pitched the idea to the executive team and got their go-ahead and support. Dee is now Global Director of Sustainability with Delux Media Entertainment. Join me in conversation with her to discover how she went about developing the company's first sustainability strategy. You'll learn how she got buy-in and support of different groups, who some of her key allies were, and how she built a network of people across the organisation to make change happen. And you'll hear how Dee is setting about her next big challenge. Dee also talks about the importance of collaborating with people across the industry, when, as she says, the commercial lens gets put to one side and everyone's working towards the greater good. Dee, it's great to have you with us today. And maybe you could kick us off by explaining, well, what what is Deluxe and what does your role involve? Sure. Thanks, Osbert, for having me. Deluxe is a global company and we we do content creation, content servicing and content distribution. So what that means in practice is we work with the makers of films, TV content and audiovisual content. And we perform lots of services on that content after the production phase to get it onto the endpoint screen. So whether that be a streaming platform, a more traditional broadcast platform, or the cinema. So that could involve localization of the content. So we provide subtitling and dubbing services in 120 different languages from around the world. We do sort of compliance editing to edit content so it's suitable for different territories. And we provide sort of access services for people who are hard of hearing or visually impaired. And then we distribute the content as well. So we will do the physical distribution to the cinema or to Netflix or to the streaming platform or wherever it's destined. And that's normally to a fairly tight schedule to meet a certain kind of release date. Wow, that's one of those businesses that you never, I never imagined actually existed until you someone said, well, I suppose someone has to do that, but never thought about it. Yeah, well, neither did I know much about it until I went into it, to be honest with you. (laughs) What's your role as... Yeah, so what sustainability role, um, mean in that in that context? What what do you, what's your focus? So yeah, I mean quite simply, so my role as global director of sustainability at Deluxe is in it, I have the responsibility for knowing what our environmental impact is as a business, and we really are sort of technology servicing company. So so our scope one and two is fairly small, and our scope three obviously is a lot bigger as as the same in most companies. So we have to kind of understand what that footprint look like looks like, collect all the data to keep monitoring that and work both internally with stakeholders in all the different countries that we're in, and as well as kind of industry stakeholders in a sort of more broader sense to reduce that and to also engage people in what we're doing and to get, you know, more traction for for other people to support our goals as well. Right. And so you you mentioned, obviously, that sort of work, Scope 3's biggest impact. Is that that something you're actively monitoring and working with or...? We just started it, to be honest. Yeah, so we're we're doing our spend-based analysis of Scope 3. Scope 1 and 2 we know fairly well. Scope 1's pretty minimal for us. You know, the odd odd sort of fugitive emissions from air conditioning. We've got some company vehicles and some stationary combustion. And Scope 2 
is fairly sizable. We've got circa 40 facilities from around the world. So it's kind of running and powering, heating and writing all those, as you know. That's obviously all about climate. What about other aspects of sustainability? Is that... How much is that on the agenda for, for you? Yeah, so we do as a, as a company. So my responsibility is mainly the environmental side, but we have a big program of work to support the sort of social side of our sustainability strategy. And we've been doing that for a number of years. So we have a big DEIB sort of program of work. We do a lot to support women in our industry, which traditionally have been a fairly underrepresented group, but that's improving through work that our company and lots of other companies are doing. So yeah, we we had a quite a strong social drive to our business and we were recently awarded one of the top 100 best loved workplaces through Newsweek. So that was nice. And I think that's testimony that's to some great. of the work we've yeah. done in those areas as well. Yeah. Excellent. So what's got you fired up about sustainability most recently? So I would say, sort of outside of a business context, something that's really been inspiring me and firing me up is an event called Climate Cycle. And that's being done by a world champion, ex-world champion triathlete and world record holder called Kate Strong. And she is cycling the perimeter of the United Kingdom over three months. So that's 3,000 miles in three months. And she's visiting sort of 40-odd sustainability projects along the way and learning about lots of great work that's happening in our own country to support, support the planet. And, and what's great is that you can get involved in this as well. So I only have, I can't, well, I'm hoping to actually go and join some of her ride when she hits Bath and Bristol in August, but anyone out there can join the ride virtually or in person. And if you join virtually, they commit to planting a tree. So you can go on this brilliant app called Climate Games and you can cycle any distance in the gym or just sort of locally. And everyone who joins her eventual Climate Games and participates through cycling whatever distance gets a tree planted. So I did that a couple of weeks ago. And it felt great, you know, I was sort of part of this big initiative and I've been following her on Instagram and, you know, seeing seeing her journey and what she's learning about these different projects. So I have to say that's really fired me up and got me very inspired. Yeah. It's really interesting. I hadn't heard of that until you, until you mentioned it. Why why that of all the different initiatives and projects and, you know, campaigns and um, stuff that are going on? What is it about that one that already... I guess it? it's it's local. So the point of it is, is to say, you know, there's a, there are a lot of you know, big kind of charities and great work going on internationally to fight climate change. This is, you know, more of a local sort of single person doing something and trying to make a big impact. And, you know, I want to support that. So, so, and it's been very interesting learning about the, the, the things I just didn't even know that was going on in our country. So um, I suppose the local level part of it in some ways makes it more tangible and meaningful to me in my day-to-day world as well. Yeah, I think it's really nice sort of when people like showcase and share the stuff that's going on that we don't often know about and that can be happening down the road and you don't know about it. So exactly. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. I think that's a bit about what we're trying to do with this podcast. Is like people then lots of people don't realize, you know, what other people working on sustainability are what are doing inside inside businesses and elsewhere. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. So so back to the sort of the, the business yeah. side of it. What in terms of your, you know, your your career all the work you've been doing around sustainability, is there anything in, what is the aspect of that that you're most most proud of, especially around engaging and involving colleagues and stakeholders in sustainability? I, I guess I would say I am most proud of the fact that I instigated the Globe 
strategies for Deluxe in sustainability. So what I mean by that is for a number of years, Deluxe has been doing a lot of good stuff locally and regionally, um, sort of more CSR, more kind of additional CSR type charitable volunteering type initiatives. And I'd always been sort of putting my hand up to support those and to help lead those, but it was always additional to my day job. And then I suppose... What was your day job at that time? So I was a business operations director. And so I was more involved in the day-to-day running of the business. And I suppose, you know, recognizing the way that legislation was going and seeing the increasing expectations of our customers and our investors, I felt that, you know, having a localized sort of CSR type approach just wasn't going to cut it for much longer. And so I I proposed, I made a business case to do this on the kind of global level. And I pitched that to the executive team who are very grateful to, to say they supported it. And it supported me to kind of upskill and, and do some professional development in that area to, to then lead that strategy and make it happen and implement it. So, you know, I, I suppose I feel proud that I was the instigator of, of trying to get us ahead of the game in sustainability, which I feel like we are at the moment. And there's always changing it, of course, but in our part in the sector, you know, I think we are being recognised as being... Um, you know, doing some good work and, and we're sharing that as much as we can as well with, with the broader industry. So, and now, you know, when our investor asked us to report on our carbon emissions last year for the first time as a mandatory requirement, we were able to deliver that. And, you know, so I felt proud that I was able to, to make that happen to the company and to, to give us a good foundation in sustainability to then build on that. What was the, what was the sort of, yeah, I mean, the, so in terms of that sort of instigating that, what was it that got that going, do you think? What was the, what was the, not necessarily not the nuts and bolts process, but what was it that turned it from an idea in your head, we ought to do this, to there is a global strategy? It was a kind of a bit of a phased approach. So I started off making the business case and, you know, presenting the legislative environment, presenting the sort of customer market environment, the cost drivers, the investor sort of landscape to say, this is why we should do something. And then I did this brilliant course with Oxford State Business School on leading corporate sustainability, which gave me a framework to think about about how to approach it and how to implement it. And then off the back of that, that's how, how I kind of drafted our first global strategy. And then I, I roadshowed that. So I took that to, I think I must have presented that about 15 to 20 times to different leadership groups across our business, which was a fairly arduous process at times, but it was really great in sort of I, I, you know, socializing it to get feedback from people in the business to say, look, here's the theory and here's how I feel like sustainability, you know, is, is relevant to our business and how we can, you know, start making a change. And, and I, I took on board all that feedback and, and that became our plan, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To what extent in those sort of conversations, those, the, that roadshow and, and sort of those, I guess that's probably sort of, there were social elements to that as well, having side conversations with people and so on. What's your impression about people's sort of interest and engagement in sustainability beyond the business case? I mean, it's really variable, you know, and, and it, often it's relying on a personal interest or a personal passion for the topic. So some people are, are on board immediately, others take a little bit more time. And what I've learned is that, you know, there are different drivers for different people. So you know, if I'm presenting to finance, this is kind of obvious really, but if you're presenting yeah. to finance and you're focusing on the cost and if you're presenting to legal, you're focusing on the legislative environments and if you're 
presenting to the business, then you're looking at kind of opportunities operationally of how you might be able to be more efficient uh, and, you know, you'll increase your productivity. So yeah, there, there, there are for different people, there are different drivers, but, but beyond that, you know, people's personal motivations differ and their own experiences of climate change or environmental impact differs. So, and I, I kind of saw that as an opportunity for me to learn about mm-hmm. you know, the audiences that I'm serving in a way and I'm, I was working with to learn what makes them tick and to understand how best to then engage them. So you have to be a bit of a chameleon really in a role like this and adjust your, your presentation or your, you know, your approach according to who you're talking to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Amazing achievement from sort of being in that in a very different role to saying, hang on, I see that we need to do this at a global level, getting that, getting that buy-in. And there must be, I guess there must be a whole process of steps to that. But I just we've just released an episode speaking with Alan Hendry, who's sustainability director with Mock um, McDonald, a big engineering technical services consultancy. And he was talking about an example of where he met a a business where you went, know, senior management created this great presentation about sustainability and how wonderful they were about doing it. And they were collaborating with them later on. And they was like speaking to their own project managers and saying, so how's it going with this? Are they really into sustainability? They said, we don't know anything about it. So it can easily be lots of great ideas at the top. And that doesn't, that doesn't filter down, doesn't turn into action. So what's your you know, sort of trajectory with that being? But where are you on that trajectory from... Yeah. Ambition to ambition to reality. I mean, obviously, made yeah. a lot of progress because you've been able to talk, you know, give your carbon emissions and so on. But yeah, I mean, I, I do identify with that experience in some ways. I, you know, I feel like over the twenty odd years of, of my career, I've become, I, I've had experience of, of, of doing this sort of evangelizing advocacy type role, but I've also been in the delivery role, been, you know, in the operations and and delivering the goods day to day. So. I have been able to flip between those two roles and, and you have to, to get the thing done. And, you know, I find that, you know, so on that road show at the beginning, when I was sharing our strategy and people were, I was feeling like people were getting on board and getting motivated and understanding it and, and generally sort of supporting it. But the reality is, you know, then they go back to their day job and they're fighting fires and they're, you know, dealing with client demands and, you know, it's not going to be top of people's list. So how do you actually affect change and get things done? And so that's where I built my more day-to-day network of the facility leaders around the business who are working in the facilities every day, who can control, you know, the air conditioning and the, and the, the lighting and, and have budgets to affect change. And that and they really became my my team, if you like, of, of advocates and people who are actually making change making changes towards our goals. So, you know, so I would, I would have my periodic higher level updates. We did a, we have this thing called Purpose by Deluxe, which encompasses all of our sort of cultural, sustainability, social well-being type initiatives. And we had a Purpose by Deluxe town hall where we had like over a thousand people that we were presenting to across our business about what we're doing. So that's the sort of, you know, broader engagement, inspiring piece. And then the next day. I'm on a call with my 14 facility leads around the world saying, okay, so where are we on reducing single-use plastics? And, you know, so I think you've just got to, for me, I learned that, you know, the balance of my time had to be on, you know, working with the people who could actually make a difference and, and start to make changes. But it's hard. It, and 
you know, it is, it can be frustrating because you know that people have always got competing demands on their time and there's not much you can do about that really. So just have to keep, keep on with the message, keep on with the, you know, why we're doing this and reminding people. And I can't tell you how many times I've explained the scapes <laughs> to people. But, you know, when, when it's your world and it's everybody else's peripheral, then that, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Remind me of the time scale for this, because it, it was in terms of when, um, you, when, you, when you started this. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was the idea made, of a global strategy. And yeah. So I was pitching the idea through 2021 and got traction at the end. And then did, did this towards the end of that year, did the professional development course and graduated in that in, at the end of 2021. And then pretty much well I started to draft the strategy at the end of that year as well into 2022 and then since then we've been you know full steam ahead with the strategy. right right so it's, it's fair so it's fairly recent but yeah I would say that you know in terms of what I my involvement with with the regional efforts had been for many years before that you know so we've been looking at in the UK for example we've been you know, we'd already moved to a renewable energy supplier, which ensured we had zero to late waste landfill. We'd reduced and reused plastics. We'd, we built some vegetable allotments for staff on our site. So we'd been doing quite a lot in, in our regional efforts, but it became a global strategy and, and an effort where I was leading it far more recently. So I guess for you, at least, you know, for yourself, you weren't starting from scratch. You were, I guess you were able to bring that experience and share it with others, but what, what, what extent were other regions do they have good stuff to build on or were they at a different starting point? Uh, it varied, I think, you know, and again, it was really dependent on somebody being in region with a passion and, and motivation to do this on top of their day job. So we'd made some good progress in India and, and in other, some regions we'd made some good progress in, in certain areas like plastics or, you know, a New Zealand site was, was quite quickly moved to renewable energy and but yeah, so I'd say it, it varied and it was dependent on who was on site, really. So what's next? What's the next sort of big thing? Or is it just like more of the well, same, do more of the same, finish it? or is there... Well, no, I mean, we have a, you know, we have a fairly well-defined journey that we want to go on. And, and my, my immediate priority is finishing CDP, which is, as everyone who's been through the process will know, a bit of a beast. We, this is the first year that we'll be doing full assessments for CDP. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar, what is CDP? Uh, apologies. Yeah. So that's the Carbon Disclosure Platform, which is the, probably the, the most well-known structure and standard for assessing your carbon footprint and what you're doing to reduce it. And, you know, customers can require you to disclose through CDP or you can decide to do it yourself anyway, and then you get scored. So it's a way of kind of helping people to sort of assess and benchmark their supply chain. But it's right. also a, a helpful thing from the vendor's point of view, like us, that, you know, multiple of our customers could ask us to disclose using the same framework. So we only have to do it once, which is good. Even though that once is quite a big lift, we still yeah. only have to do it once. So that's really, that's really helpful. Thanks. So yeah. basically you're in the middle of... So yeah, so in the middle of CDP... And and that that reporting timeline is the same for everybody doing CDP out there. So if anyone's listening to this in July, they'll probably be in the same situation if they're doing it. So the deadline for that's the twenty sixth of July. And then, and where I think CDP is helpful is it it helps you to see areas where you ought to be doing more or where you ought to focus in the future. So in terms of my next priorities, when I look at CDP, you know I see we've got a gap around climate risk opportunity and assessment. 
you know, this feels like a big area with TCFD and other sort of programs and, and other legislation coming. Climate risk is a big thing. And whilst we as a company have identified at a high level some climate risk, we haven't really looked in detail at the opportunities or done a thorough risk assessment. So, for example, you know, we've already experienced severe flooding in our Bangalore office in India and had to fairly quickly put risk-skating uh, uh, actions in place for that. And I would like to move towards doing that as a sort of broader level where we're looking at not just the potential impact of extreme weather, but also, you know, how changing legislation might affect us, how new policies out there might affect us, shifts in market, shifts in technology that might impact us as a business. So, yeah, and also look at the opportunity, like the shifting landscapes and how we might benefit from from what we're doing to to reduce the environmental impact. So I think it, the goal is really to make your business more resilient for the future. And I, I, you know, I want to be ahead of that. I don't want to be doing it while we're, you know, while we're sort of surrounded by forest fires or heat waves or people can't get into the office or whatever the issue might be. So, and I, and I think that CDP is a great, gives a great kind of format for looking at risk. So even though, you know, we can't fully complete that section yet, and that's probably another sort of two years away for us. It's just really helpful to give you that view. So that will, so that kind of thing will become will be up on, on my priority list. I think going forward, yeah. And in, in terms of delivering that, what's what are the, sort of the key things that are make that easier, faster, better? You know, both sort of, I guess, maybe sort of like strategically, but operationally, what are the what are the key things that going to you think really need to be in place to be able to deliver on that? It's a good question. Like, I mean, I'd be, initially, I'd be looking at, if we were doing scenario-based risk and an opportunity assessment, that's basically looking at different levels of warming and how that would impact your business. I'd be looking for some external help to do that from experts. So, and, and you know, we've already got some, some proposals from people to look at that. So, but in terms of, I think what your question is, is, is in terms of what do we need in place in our business to make that mm-hmm. work? Yeah. Really? I guess the question is, given the importance of this stuff, can it be more than just, you know, Another initiative from head office. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if I take the Bangalore um, a situation that we've actually lived through as an example, you know, the fact that, that they experienced severe flooding where people couldn't get in and out of the office. So we had people couldn't get in and out on, on cars or on their scooters or anything. So, you know, we had to bus people in and out. And so now we've got sort of hygiene hacks in the office that people end up having to stay overnight because they physically can't get out of the office. So it all, you know, when you look at that, it very quickly becomes, you know, a real operational situation that you need to plan for. So it's not just a, a piece of paper that's a risk assessment. It's like this has actually happened in one of our countries. And, you know, our head, we're headquartered in California, which has experienced severe forest fires over the last few years, which has prevented some people getting in from work, getting into work. Similarly here with the heat waves melting the road. So I feel like, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples of power which is already impacting our business. And when you get to, when you get to talking about those examples, it gets, it sort of always becomes just part of your general business risk assessment. But then a, a climate, you know, the fact that climate is causing it is, 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 is important, but it's more about, okay, how do we prevent this from taking down our business? How do we keep our business running when these things are happening? And so I feel like that's, that probably won't be a problem because ultimately we need to keep running for us. To deliver the customers' demands and and you know to keep bringing in the revenue, 
So yeah, we have to yeah. focus on that. Yeah. And you, when you were talking about the uh, the carbon emissions stuff, you were talking about the importance of that network of your team, essentially, all the facilities people across the yeah. across the business. What would be the equivalent in this in this sort of risk assessment piece? Well, I think you'd be looking at you'd be looking at those facility needs because they will be the people. It's a bit like COVID, you know, all of a sudden you have to shut down the office and everyone has to start to work from home. So you're mobilizing your IT teams are really important. You're facility teams in terms of your health and safety protocols in the office, the, the operational needs of critical, obviously, because they know like, you know, what the workflows are and, and, and how those could be impacted. And I think you're, to some extent, your supply chain. So, you know, for us, it would be, you know, our cloud providers, our tech vendors. So, you know, if we've had issues with, with getting, with our supply chain and getting a hold of kit that's traveling from the ETH through, you know, because of sort of issues with chips and other sort of natural resource materials, that sort of stuff. So I think supply chain becomes quite important as well. But yeah, it, it's, there would, there would be a kind of a swap team, if you like, that you would need to get together pretty quickly. But that's all part of the risk planning, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So I was thinking more, not, not about when the sort of the stuff hits the fan, it's more in that preparation phase. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, that, that team of people who are sort of on the on it and uh, exactly so i would not i wouldn't be able to kind of do the the risk assessment single-handedly i'd be pulling in all of those people just in yeah. hands. what are the uh, like what are the operational processes where are people based who's hybrid who's you know who's reliant on the office who can work externally and, and what are the really a sketch it's of structure demand because we are running our whole business is running on tech so yeah that's that's what i would be focusing you know bringing together the the IT and the tech support teams and then the people who are doing the work to see, you know, how, what would that look like in a, in a different scenario and how would we deal with that if people can't get into the office and, you know, COVID in some ways has been helpful for us to practice some of that, but in our business, because of the type of content we're dealing with, lots of it's pre-release content. So that means there's high security. So you can't just be doing that necessarily at home. In a home-based environment, you have to have a secure office environment to make sure that that, that content is protected. So there are other, yeah, there are other considerations too. So do you, you're obviously, you know, really passionate, really committed around this. What, what's got you, you know, why, what's got you going on this and what keeps you going? Well, to be honest, my, my journey in sort of sustainability in the broadest sense started 20 odd years ago when I left university and, and. I've been motivated by kind of social good for many years. And I did lots of volunteering, particularly with, with older age groups through my 20s. And in my 30s, I did some extra curriculum qualification when I had my first maternity leave on the power of kind of intergenerational community engagement. So bringing the old, like different generations together. And then in my second mat leave, I, I launched some an initiatives locally, which brought together older people and mums with young babies, which was a beautiful sort of lovely intergenerational almost therapy really and then that all got cut short from COVID, when COVID happened unfortunately but and so I'd built like for many years I was doing all this sort of social work outside of my career which was really you know filling my bucket in terms of feeling warm and and sort of like rewarded in that sense but I also really like my career and like the industry I work in I'm motivated by kind of, you know, commercial business. And I like sort of thinking strategically and I'd come from a kind of strategy background. And so I kind of wanted to 
keep on that pathway. And so really, like it was, I had quite a lot of soul searching around how do I bring these two things together? And, you know, with the emergence of kind of ESG and the, and the more focus on corporate sustainability, that felt like the perfect opportunity for me to feel like I could bring my motivation and, and sort of passion for doing good for the world and, and not to say that I'm, you know, like Greta Dunberg or anything, but, but just, you know, I considered feel more rewarded in my career and actually keep up the kind of corporate focus and keep my sort of commercial strategic lens, but bring in the sort of, you know, the planetary and social goods to that. So yeah, I guess that's what's motivated me and what, why it matters to me. And it has done for many years. And so along this, along this journey, and it's been a long journey with many different steps, are there any particular particular people or organizations that you've found have been really you know, important to you on that journey? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, internally, my, my boss has been an advocate from day one. And so that I've been really grateful for that. She's been the one that sort of, you know, has been my representative, if you like, on our executive group and with our investors to sort of you know, explain why this is important and why it's important for us to keep promoting it. But and I, the facility managers that I've worked with in Deluxe have been excellent and, and really helped me to affect change, as I mentioned. But then there's been, there's been other people alongside that cheerleaded me along the way. So, you know, at the beginning when I was thinking of making the change and sort of focusing fully on, on corporate sustainability. And along the way, when you hit humps and bumps in the road, they're the ones that kind of, you know, remind you why you're doing it. And so I've had brilliant mentors and friends and family and other colleagues that have, have helped me along. So, so that's been really good. I was on a, a Rise Women in Broadcast mentoring program. I've been on it for a number of years. I've been a mentor on it three times now. And last year I was a mentee and my mentor was just, you know, really gave me wings that, that year because it was a big year for me. And so, so that's helped me enormously. And then also my external network. So I was in LA last month and meeting the sustainability needs from some of the major Hollywood studios who were very collaborative in this environment. So you know, the commercial lens kind of gets put to one side and, and, and everyone's working towards the greater good. And for me, that's a you know, really nice space to be in. So, so those people have been very supportive and, and helped me learn a lot. And, and it's great to share experiences there as well. So, yeah, I would say my kind of external network that's like, that I've been built up in the industry over 20 plus years has, has been instrumental and, and has been a huge help, as well as those kind of key stakeholders in the business as well. That's really fascinating. I guess I take two things from that. One is like it's a reminder for, for all of us that, you know, despite what it looks like, when you mentioned, you mentioned Greta Thunberg, it's like sometimes it looks like there's this, like, this superhero doing yeah. it all by themselves. And in fact, change always happens with a group of people, you know, connections and, and whatever, you know, working together on this stuff, even if there is a, you know, perhaps a figurehead or, you know, someone at the front, you know, in front of the camera. So that, you know, I think you've really shown that. The other thing I sort of take from that, I guess, is you know, it's just, it was really clear when you mentioned those heads of studio in, in Hollywood and putting aside the commercial interest to focus on this greater good. And I think in, in my experience, certainly, you know, when you have the chance to perhaps put aside some of those, the day-to-day pressures and, and so on, and just start looking at, well, what really matters? You can have those conversations about, well, this is why, you know, this is why we care about stuff. This is what we want to try and do. And then you can work out how you can do that. And obviously it has to make sense commercially, otherwise you go bust. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that connecting in with that sort of personal 
interest and drive is so important. Do you, do you want to say more about that? Yeah. So, 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 do you mean that that why you know my my personal interest and why that's kind of how that's helping me in my day? I'm thinking about your experience of engaging other people, whether that's inside the business or outside the operation. You know, you you started off a lot with the business case, which absolutely is really crucial. But there's also this personal connection and this personal connection with each other, but also this personal connection to the greater good that you mentioned. And how yeah, does that, I, I, how do those yeah. how do those things play together do you, in your um, experience? I mean, it, you know, it, it matters hugely because everybody who I have met on the whole in this space is in it because they care about it. It's not the sort of thing that you go into because you just sort of fall into it, you know, and, and it's intentional. There's always like that sort of, when you meet people, you immediately have this, this sort of understanding that you're both there and everybody's there and and we're, we've all probably struggled with lots of the same things and we're, we're all probably motivated by a lot of the same things and and what's interesting to me is the people who are in their roles in our industry who've come from other industries maybe they've come from energy or renew, you know renewables or or other parts of clean energy or, or sustainability in other sectors and that for me is is great because you know that's just bringing in all this knowledge and awareness of what other people are doing in other sectors that work that we can learn from so yeah, I would say that that that's one part that I absolutely love about the job is meeting people driven by the same thing with the same motivations, often with the same challenges. And so you meet people from different industries or, or from the same industry, and you know you're it's almost like a half a therapy session and, and half a kind of business meeting because um of, you know you might be on different stages of your journey but but yeah the the challenges in terms of you know engagement and, and progress and, and the legislation and, and everything else that we're all doing is is often very similar oh you've got some some big projects on the go you CB, cdp to finish off yeah and then the big risk assessment stuff coming up yeah. good luck with all of that so final sort of question now then is what if you what what book, article, video would you would you recommend to other sustainability leaders, perhaps? And whether they're sort of, you know, embarking on this journey or been doing it for a while. I think oh, there's some yeah, there's something here that, you know, people should really read, maybe to get a different perspective or to help them get started. What's what, what's on your list? So I I mean I'm in the middle of a couple of books at the moment, but that one Thing, in terms of, sort of media content, one thing I would really recommend, and coming from our business, you'd expect me to offer some audiovisual content as a recommendation. There's a brilliant streaming platform called Waterburn, which I learned about in the last year, and it's a free platform. There's no ads on it. And all of the content is about people, communities, organizations who are doing work to save the planet. So it's it's really varied. It can, there's short feature, there's short form content, there's feature link content, there's series there as well. And most of the content at the end of the program they connect to an NGO who might be looking to tackle some of those issues. So it doesn't lift, leave you kind of feeling really desperate about the the situation we're in. It gives you some sort of positive ways to to move forward and to sort of help make a change. And there's one particular film that I saw on that which is. Not for sort of lighthearted Friday night viewing, I can tell you, but it's worth watching. And it's called Slay. And it's a, a sort of horrific behind the scenes documentary about 
leather fur and wool trade. And I learned a lot from watching that as things that I, I just didn't know before. It's made me think twice, but three times, four times without ever buying any new, you know, leather again. Not that I would ever really use fur anyway, but you know, it makes me, it made me really think twice about where, where I'm buying things from and, and what I might be buying. So I would say, yeah, check out Walter Bear and Slay is a particularly good piece of content to be looking at. Yeah, I, I have actually heard of, I've heard of Walter Bear, but I don't think I've ever had to take a look at it. So this is a great prompt to do that. It's really good. Yeah, I found it very, very informative. And, and as I say, you know, sometimes you don't want to watch an hour and a half of, of content, you know, of something that's quite sort of distressing and you have to be in the same frame of mind to do that. But what, what it, how it's great is that it's got lots of short form as well. So you could just watch something for 10 or 15 minutes and still learn a lot about, you know, projects going on around the world to, to fight climate change or, or other issues. I think that is one of the big challenges with communicating a lot of this stuff. And I've, I've, I've been invited to go and like, you know, go to screenings of some film about some environmental crisis or disaster or something. I'm sorry, I just don't want to go and spend my evening doing that. I yeah. know enough about it already to be, to be worried. Yeah. Being more worried isn't going to, make, going to help me. So I think the idea that there is you know, these these shorts particularly like, are tied in with you know what you can do as a result. I guess presumably some of those projects are also sharing stories of hope as well. And absolutely, results. yeah, yeah. And and you know one thing that's interesting about our industry is that there's from the con- from the content production side, there's a lot of effort on reducing the footprint of making the productions. But there's also something called the Climate Content Pledge, which is an initiative led by BAFTA Albert, and Albert is the sustainable sort of production initiative where if you if you look at the end of credits of lots of programs that you see on TV, you see a BAFTA, sorry, Albert Sustainable Production Stone. And their climate content pledge is to get more, it to sort of normalise climate-related issues on, on screen. So yes, it's important to have all of the sort of David Attenborough real stories about what's going on out there, but it's also important just to kind of make climate action more normalised in your day-to-day programming. And, and some research that was done by the University of Southampton showed that people feel far more engaged in a topic and able to, and, and willing to act if it's a story of hope rather than if it's a story of, you know, what a terrible situation we're in. So, you know, obviously it's not to say that we shouldn't try and understand that the reality of the state of the planet, but I agree with you. A lot of people feel more empowered and willing to engage if it's the story of hope and, and things, you know, going well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I guess it's, I guess it's not necessarily an either or, but it's like, actually, you know, there is spare stuff going on. There, are, there is stuff that needs to be told there, but then it's like, you, it takes you down into the depths and then it's like, okay, now we've got to come up again. And uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. And I think yeah. you know, there are there's stories of other people doing this where you can get involved. That is really positive rather than just like, oh, here's a, here's a URL for some more information. It's like. Yeah. 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 And that's why I think Water, Water Bear does really well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's worth a note. I mean, I feel the same about my time as well. Sustainability is such a busy space. And, you know, there's parts of me that I want to learn more about, you know, the science behind it and what's happening in reality in the world and the positive projects as well as the sort of like the reality of the state the planet and I get approached lots about doing different sort of talks or joining events and joining conferences and joining webinars about corporate sustainability and like I want to do them all because I find the topic really interesting but I think you have to be you know you have to be quite selective and balanced for me I have to balance you know making tangible progress for the organization as well as keeping abreast of what's going on in the 
external environment. And, and that can be quite challenging sometimes because, frankly, there aren't enough hours in the day. Yes. Well, on that note, it's getting time for us to wrap up this, wrap up our conversation. So thank you so much for being with us, Dee. It's been fascinating insight into a world I know nothing about and great to hear your story. So thank you. Thank you for having me. What a great story. I love how, even though it wasn't her responsibility, Dee recognised that Delux needed to tackle sustainability and made it happen. Whether your organisation is just getting started with sustainability or you're some way on the journey, I hope you've got some useful ideas and insights from Dee's experience. You'll find more details and links to resources in the show notes at realize.earth slash 117. That's realize with an S. realize.earth slash 117. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and I hope this episode of Leadership for Sustainability will help you lead on sustainability in your organisation. What you're doing is so important, now more than ever. Be sure to look after yourself. Bye for now. <laughs>